Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I decided to capitalize on Banjo-Kazooie being in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate and finally talk about it on the show. I knew that I was eventually going to talk about it on the show, just needed the right time. And I knew that I needed Henry to talk about it with me because our conversations about Banjo can and have lasted for hours. So why don't you introduce yourself again, Henry? Yo, it's me, Henry the Guest, and he is not exaggerating. Our conversation with Banjo-Kazooie in the series can go on for quite a while. So we're going to talk about the first Banjo game. It came out around 1998, I believe. It was, yeah, yes, it was 1998. Yeah, it was for the Nintendo 64. What What was your first contact with Banjo, Henry? I got a release here, actually. So I actually got it as a Christmas, birthday or Christmas gift. I don't remember which. Uh, I actually was afraid of it because I was a scared old kid. But then I eventually managed to pick up a strategy guide and beat the whole game. I remember we saw it at the game exchange in town and that store has changed around a lot over the years but it's still there and my dad said no we can't get it right now then he took us to the college in town and we watched a really bad play about an inuit or an eskimo woman who turned into a wolf for some reason and we had no idea what was going on but then we went back to the store and got banjo and <laughs> we started playing it <laughs> I like to think he was apologizing for making us see that play. That's what it sounds like. But he played banjo, and I think it was mainly... This was mainly when my brother and my dad played more games than I did. So I usually just watched, and when I did play a game, I would mess around a bit. I do remember in the final battle, though, like I gave my dad the important piece of advice to use the Wonder Wing invincibility to... Mm -hmm survive Gruntilla's onslaught and I was so proud of myself and then when I found out in the sequel that she wanted revenge I thought oh no is she mad at me for telling my dad how to beat her <laughs> uh, for people who don't really know about Banjo it's a rareware developed platformer game for the Nintendo 64 originally but now it's also available on certain Microsoft platformers it was of the same ilk of Mario 64 and Donkey Kong 64. Some would even argue that it was the better game of its kind. And it was about a cartoon bear named Banjo and a, a bird that lives in his backpack named Kazooie. And they would go beat up a witch named Gruntilla because she kidnapped Banjo's sister. Who does not appear in any games after the first one. Yeah, 2D mainly exists to fill out the Snow White reference at the beginning, and then to start the conflict, because in every subsequent game, Grunty just wants revenge against Banjo. I like to point out, uh, apparently she was arrested by the video game police afterward. That's kind of the running joke for being a terrible character. <laughs> I think there was a joke about that somewhere at some point. I don't really remember. I just remember the word rubbish. Yep. Tootie isn't really much of a character, sadly, but did you know that she was originally going to be a, more of a playable character? I do recall hearing about that. I don't know how much of the ending would have been changed from this, but there's a bit where Gruntilla throws one final spell at the last battle of the game, 
and it's supposed to transform Banjo into a frog or something, and Tootie has to go collect all the extra Mumbo tokens in the game and have him switched back. I don't know if that would just be the end of the game or if there'd be another fight or anything like that. Uh, that does sound pretty interesting, but the ending was changed to be she just misses. Yeah, and that would also explain why there are more mumbo tokens in the game than you actually need. There, I think I think the total is like 116 or something like that. Gruntilda is one of the most impressive final bosses of her era, I think. Definitely up there, I would agree. Like She gives it her all in every fight. She she is consistently like tough, and there's a lot of spectacle to her fights, uh, with or without the rhyming. <laughs> as silly as she is, she's actually a competent threat. Oh, let's let's list off what she did. She created the different worlds, or at least connections to the different worlds in the first Banjo Kazooie. Yeah, she cursed Mumbo to have the skull face. She, in the bad ending, actually does succeed in her mission to get Tootie's beauty, I guess, is what it was. And look no further at the final boss battle with her and just how tough she is and all the variety of moves she has there. It takes the Jinjos suddenly appearing for Banjo to finally get the decisive shot against her. Yep, and that was after she was shot with eggs and she's casting spells the entire time. She got rat-a-tat-wrapped. They, they, they basically use every move that you learn throughout the entire game to to beat her up at the end. It is quite a boss fight, especially for the time. And even then, she's still not done. Like, she gets trapped underground for two years, comes out as a skeleton, and she she gets right back into it, going after Banjo and becoming even more dangerous. And... How, how much do you know about the Game Boy game, Grunty's Revenge? Not much. I never did play it, but I do know it's supposed to be kind of an interquel between Kazooie and Tooie, where Gruntilda somehow goes back in time. Yeah. She transfers her consciousness into some kind of mecha Grunty and tries to be the antagonist there, and then when she loses, she goes back to her skeletal body under the ground and just waits for... Banjo Tooie to happen. I think they actually scrap the mechanical body and turn it into the Hag One, which would make sense. Also, I'd like to point out Grunty. She's out of there for two years, struggling to get out. She gets out as a skeleton. She's defeated at the end of Tooie. She becomes a head. She comes back eight years later in nuts and bolts. She does not give up. No, she does not. What is like, it? I almost admire her at this point. <laughs> she's more persistent than anything else I've seen. Like, they just got to give Bowser a run for his money at this point. Right, right. Gruntilda's lair is one of my favorite ways to kind of show without telling. There's, there's a bit of telling because Gruntilda chimes in every once in a while to give you dialogue as you go through her lair. But just... As you go through, you can see how weird she is that her cavern lair has all these weird biomes and how vain she is with all these tributes to herself. When you first enter Gruntilda's lair, the first thing you see after coming out of the doorway, picture of her on the wall. Yeah, you know whose house this is. Uh, actually, going back even further, her the entranceway to her lair is literally her head. Yeah, it's a whole Mount Rushmore situation. So, yeah, she's vain, she's arrogant, but she can back up her claims with magic. 
She's a bit of a show woman, too, because even though she could have just transplanted Tootie's you know, charm and cuteness and beauty into herself, I guess she decides to wait for Banjo and Kazooie to reach her at the top of the lair for some reason, and then she decides to make them go through a game show for some other reason. You're definitely right about the showman aspect, and uh, yeah, that's like the second scene I want to say you see is Grunty and Tootie in the machine that would swap their beauty. Yeah, they're pretty much all set to go to have Gruntilda's plan go off without a hitch as soon as you enter the lair, but for some reason, they only wait for you to get a game over before making it happen. Or if you save and quit. Yeah, that, that was back when Rare Games didn't want you to save and quit. Yeah, it is pretty funny, though. That ending seems actually hilarious. Even in Banjo-Tooie, I don't want to get too far into that game because this is supposed to be about Kazooie. Right. But even in Tui, she just can't seem to resist the urge to put on some kind of show for Banjo and Kazooie as she fights them. I would like to point out in Tui, though, she is a lot more restrained this time around. Yeah, she she doesn't speak in rhyme anymore, which is, now that I think of it, it's actually a detriment to her character and some of the tone of the game. But I do like the dialogue that leads into it. It's like, you have to stop rhyming or help you, we won't. It's like, oh, fine, if I have to. Yeah, which is funny because the sisters are constantly speaking in Yoda speak. It's telling that Grunty goes right back to talking in rhyme during Nuts and Bolts. Yeah, she does. Yeah, after her sisters are gone, she just goes right back to it. Also, I guess she invented like some robots in her spare time between Tui and Nuts and Bolts. As as a floating head. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. She she is a woman of many talents. I really like going through her lair and how much it kind of tells you about her as you go. Uh, Mother 3 does a very similar thing. If you go back and listen to Mother 3 Part 3, you can listen to me and Philip talking about it. A uh, more recent example, I would say, is Hat in Time does a lot of that as well, where you kind of get a sense of how the worlds are just by looking at them rather than having to be having to explain. Uh, sort of. I was thinking more about the lines of going through... Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, I know what you're talking about now. There was that level with the... Uh... The spooky shadow queen lady. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, you go through her entire mansion and you can kind of learn things about her character as you go. Actually, another, a better example I just thought of for modern storytelling like that, uh, Persona 5, the different palaces. Oh, yeah. I mean, but we're getting into a lot more telling along with the showing, but it is a similar thing where you get a feel for your antagonist as you go along. I, it's always cool when a game does that right now grandota's lair somehow has all these different biomes as he mentioned earlier there's a swamp there's a desert there's a mansion yeah she has rooms that just resemble all the worlds you're supposed to go through she's got an entire forest in one of them do you have a particularly favorite level in this game in the first one hmm that's kind of tough because they're all memorable in one way or another but if I had to pick one absolute favorite, it's probably Click Clock Wood. Really? Yeah, the final level of the game because it goes through all the different seasons. That is pretty unique compared to everything else in the game. One thing I do like is that while this game does have some predictable biomes like the snow level and the desert level, it's not afraid to go with more esoteric ideas like a giant boat in a polluted bay. You don't really get that a lot. Or Clanker himself, who is a mechanical something or other. Mechanical shark. His stage is kind of a sewer level, which 
is still kind of common, but you you don't really expect it so early in the game. I'd like to point out that I almost everybody I've talked to that's played this game does not like Rusty Bucket Bay at all. Yeah, Rusty Bucket Bay is definitely one of the difficulty spikes of yeah, Anjo Kazooie. And it's and personally it's my least favorite level in the game. I actually need to play Banjo-Kazooie again. I tried to play it, but we couldn't get the 64 to work for some reason, and I don't have any of the Xbox variations or the Rare Replay or whatever. What else is there to... Oh, the music is great. Yeah, the Grant Kirkhope. I'm gonna tell you, Henry, he's about as much of Banjo-Kazooie as much as Grunty herself is, in my opinion. I would definitely agree with that. Um... A little bit of a shout out here as well, if we're talking about this, he actually did a uh, video with Family Jewels doing a metal version of the final battle theme. Oh, yeah, Grant really gets around and it's good that he's getting like work and recognition. I especially like that Sakurai and everyone approached him to do the Spiral Mountain remix in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. It's just... He's the first non-Japanese composer to have any part in the Super Smash Bros. soundtrack, not counting any times where they just ported a song directly. He's, like, really just blown away by this whole situation, and he clearly enjoyed doing the song. It's just a good feeling. It's good to have him back, too, because he really made the music, and he makes it really memorable. There's not a single track in Banjo-Kazooie I don't I don't like. I kind of don't like Cheeto's theme, but that's just because it scared me as a kid. <laughs> and I mean, you could argue that the Final Battle theme is just a remix of Grunty's theme, but that's kind of the point. Oh, there's, it's not just a remix of Grunty's theme. Like, it, it's in there, but it's also, you know, embellished, and there's a lot more stuff going on. Right, which fits Grunty's personality. yeah. Going back to the atmosphere of the lair is that the the final room before fighting Grunty herself, it's after the Furnace board game, is it's this ominous, empty space, and it's actually where you find the beauty transfer machine, too. It's also where the first cutscene starts. Yeah. You're in, I'd say, Gruntilda's lair, but the whole place is her lair, but her, like, inner sanctum, and the atmosphere here is a lot more ominous and... The final jigsaw puzzle of the game, or at least the final mandatory one, is a self-portrait of Grunty as she actually looks menacing for once. It's like really brilliant how they're able to just build up to Grunty throughout the entire game. Yeah, the entire game is focused around Grunty and Banjo and Kazooie are kind of outsiders in this regard. They're just, they're basically they're basically intruding on her lair to, to get their sis to get Banjo's sister back, of course. But yeah, they are. In Grunty's territory, they've got to play by her rules now. Right, and they do so very well. I mean, with Bottles' help, of course. Yeah, Bottles, Mumbo, and random other characters. Mm-hmm. You said Click Clock Wood was your favorite level, and I find it interesting that I've heard it described as that level is probably the most Tui-like of all the Banjo-Kazooie levels. I would agree with that. I would definitely say it's kind of a precursor to what we would see in Tui. It's the largest level in the game by far, simply because you've got to go through it four times, and even then, just going through it once is kind of harrowing because it's a giant tree in the middle of a forest. Yeah, the fact that all the Jiggies are task-based, too, compared to Mumbo's Mountain, 
several hours earlier where you just find Jiggy's just laying out in the open. By the time you get to Click Clock Wood, you're expected, and this is this is good game design right here, you're expected to be able to use all your skills competently. It's kind of like the final test at the end of a semester. Yeah, and I can see why that's the stage that comes after Rusty Bucket Bay, because as hard as that stage is, you still don't really use everything in the same way Click Clock Wood asks you to. Yeah, Click Clock Wood asks you to use everything at your disposal, like I've already stated, and it doesn't do it the same as many of the other levels. As you said, almost every single Jiggy there is task-based. In fact, I can think of only one Jiggy where you just go find it. Which one's that again? It's the one at the top of the tree. Oh, well, and that one, like, well, you have to climb the entire tree to get it, so right. that's kind of... A uh, fun fact for those who actually are playing the game, it's easiest to do that one in winter because you can do it at any one of the seasons. Hmm. I'm sure people know how to play Banjo. Like, they've got all the speed running strats all under lock and key. I oh, don't yeah. think they need our help. No, probably not. It's one of those games I grew up with. I did too. I can definitely see why people were excited to have him in Smash. I did notice that Click Cluck would recycles assets a lot more than the other stages do. It's almost the only stage in the game to not have an original enemy. And even the enemies that are introduced in this stage are all just variations of past enemies. Yeah. And I think the only unique thing in that stage that's an enemy is the snare bear. That's the uh, giant flytrap-looking things. Did you say snare bear or bear snare? Snare bear. Okay. Because I feel like that could work either way. Yeah, they're called snare bears. I believe Click Cluck Wood might also be an example of one of the stages that got shifted around between Tui and Kazooie in development because they had a few of those. They wanted different levels to be in Tui or Kazooie, but then they switched places... Uh, Hellfire Peaks in Tui was actually meant to be in Kazooie. Yeah, I, I remember Witchy World supposed to be a Kazooie world, but then they put it in Tui. And the Hellfire Peaks example, they wanted just a fire level, so they, they held on to the fire level and then attached an ice level to it. Right. Because Gobi actually, uh, the camel actually mentions it at, in Click Clock Wood when you hit him in the back again. He mentions he's going to the lava world. Yeah. I thought he was just talking about the furnace fun. <laughs> that would be kind of, that would be uh, weird to see. I'm not going to lie. He's just actually there on the board. <laughs> I know at one point they wanted to have a level called a fungus forest, which they had to drop, but eventually inserted into Donkey Kong 64 is fungi forest. Mm-hmm. We can talk about DK64 another time, but just suffice it to say, I think it's Tui on steroids. And not in a good way. Yeah. The interesting thing about fungi forest in Kazooie, and I don't I don't know how true this is. I, I kind of agree with it based on my observations, but I could also just be getting some confirmation bias. But is that the puzzle room where you unlock the click clock wood puzzle is really out of the way compared to all the other puzzle rooms and that the textures don't quite match up with, like, the grass and the sound effects you'd hear in Click Cluck Wood versus Fungi Forest, that that puzzle room was originally going to unlock Fungi Forest instead, but then they just made it Click Cluck Wood's puzzle. I actually have heard the same rumor, so... I might have told you this rumor, because, again, we've talked about this series ad nauseum. Yeah, right, right. 
And uh, for those who have played, you can see a lot of DK64 having ties to Tui and Kazooie as well. Not just from Fungi Force, but just kind of in the structure. They made Kazooie, then they made Donkey Kong 64, then they made Tui. I keep getting those mixed up. I keep thinking 64 comes after Tui, but no, it's the other way. That puzzle room with Click Cluck Woods puzzle... That kind of also scared me as a kid. I was, I was like you. I was easily frightened by things in games as a child. It took me forever to get through Ocarina of Time because I was scared of the skull to us. But just that puzzle room is... Not only is it so far out of the way, but it, it just hints at something that's so far later in the game and just the ominous fairy tale woods rendition of the lair theme. Like, I felt like I'd stumbled across something I wasn't meant to see. <laughs> which is actually kind of a weird... Like, thing in games that makes me uncomfortable. Kind of like... Uh, oh, there's no good example I can think of, but it was just really awkward first discovery. Like, oh, we shouldn't be here. Actually, I have an example of that. Hmm? It's from Psychonauts. In Psychonauts, the levels are all in within other characters' heads. There's one you go into as a training level where it's this it's a disco kind of party theme. I forget where it is exactly, but there's a specific spot. If you go in there... You end up hearing a bunch of screaming children as an orphanage burns down. And you don't ever have to hear that, right? Nope, you don't need to beat the level. It's just there. It's meant to be part of the backstory of the character whose mind you're in, but it's otherwise optional. Yeah, that sounds kind of like what I was talking about. Except in this case, the quick Hogwarts puzzle is kind of necessary. It is, but you, you can't actually do anything with it until you reach the level itself, because... You can't even solve the puzzle. They didn't want you accidentally unlocking the stage too early. Yeah. Which I think is okay. Asking players to backtrack a little bit is not a bad thing. Well, they have also the convenient warped. Yeah, true. For, for how creepy I said the Click Cluck Woods version of the Lair theme is, though, it, uh, nowadays it might actually be my favorite remix of the Lair theme. That's something that Kirkhope did really well with, is that anytime you get near one of the levels in the game like the level entrances, it changes to be a remix of that using the instruments and tone from that world. Yeah, and it also plays when you're near the puzzle that unlocks that world, so you can kind of tell that they're connected. Right. I it watched a video that actually explained how they did that. It said that they had every version of the Lair theme all playing at once, but they were respectively muted and emphasized based on where Banjo is. So it's kind of like a trigger. Basically, where he's standing means this equals this. Yeah, basically flagging them to replace one version of the lair theme with the other. And it's entirely seamless. It, the music does not stop. Oh, that, that's probably why they did it all at the same time. So that way you wouldn't have to stop and start a new one. The only time it stops is when you're transitioning to a new area. Yeah. Do you have a favorite rendition of the lair theme? Because I feel like asking for favorite songs is which we usually do in these episodes, I feel like asking for favorite songs, like the Lair theme has to kind of have its own section because it's so prominent and there are so many versions of it. My favorite rendition of the Lair theme, that is tough because they're all really good and it's entirely seamless. So I'm not going to lie, after a while, it all just kind of blends together for me. Mm. And not including the final battle, which has the Lair theme in it, of course. No, that's, that's a whole new song. Right. I'm... Hmm. That's kind of a tough one. I don't think I have a personal favorite. Although, uh, Quick Art Woods up there. I like Treasure Trove Cove's one a lot. Freeze Easy Peak is nice. 
It's a lot more somber than the Freezy Z Peak theme itself, now that I think of it. Yeah, Freezy Z Peak, the theme itself is very much like, hey, it's Christmas! Yeah, but the Freezy Z Peak remix of Gruntilda's theme is just solitary sleigh bells, practically. Yeah, it's almost almost like dying, like freezing to death sort of feel. It is weird. I think I like the Clanker's Cavern version of the Lair theme. That's a good one. Oh, Bubblegoop Swamp, that's probably my other favorite one. Uh, that one's growing on me more. Uh, I also like the version right outside of the Furnace Fun. Yeah, the very j the jazzy remix of it. Yeah, the jazzy game show version. of. I, I almost wish that was the music of F Grunty's Furnace Fun. It was just that remix. <laughs> yeah. But you have to admit, Grunty's Furnace Fun itself has got a good theme to it. I want to talk about Grunty's Furnace Fun itself. Because, you know, we, you go through levels, they're all quirky, and they all increase in challenge. It's the kind of stuff you expect. And then, all of a sudden, you beat the last world, you're ready to face Gruntilda. There's even a giant pad that teleports you, and it has Tootie's face on it for some reason. But I guess it reminds you of why you're doing all this. And uh, suddenly, instead of fighting Gruntilda, she puts you in front of a giant board game track over a pit of lava, and you have to answer questions to get to the end. And all the spaces have different rules and conditions, and they all complement each other very well. And it really tests your knowledge of the entire game up to this point. And I think that is the thing that more games should do, I feel like, especially exploratory games like Banjo. And it is really palated towards detail-oriented people like us who can recognize, oh yeah, this is the background music from here, or oh yeah, this is a thing Brentilda said at this point. I want to bring mention to Brentilda herself, because Brentilda is Gruntilda's nicer sister. She actually snuck in to help you out. Every time you go talk to her, she appears in different spots in the lair. She gives you three different facts about Grunty's life. They're all gross. Yeah. Um, you have to memorize all these for the Grunty's Furnace fun. How do you expect the player to remember all that without writing it down? Because there's actually one I did not know until, in fact, a few days ago. I did not know Brentilda appeared in the Man Monster Mansion graveyard just outside the level. Yeah, she's a little hard to notice when you're not looking for her. Yeah, I never knew she actually appeared there until I saw Miss Anella's Let's Play. Also another shout out. Anyway, yeah, the Furnace Fun is just really good, really rewards a lot of attention to detail. I, I don't like the Brentilda stuff, but beyond that, yeah, it's great. Like, there are sometimes some puzzles that have an added stipulation to them, or you got you have to know visual cues or audio cues, or sometimes it's just general information. And it is much better than the equivalent game show in Banjo-Tooie. I will... Mm, they're about the same for me, honestly. Uh, well, this one just feels more dynamic and more varied and kind of easier to understand. But I get the point that Tui is meant for people who already played Kazooie, so it's meant to be a little harder, but it's also a little more boring in the process, I think. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I can Because it doesn't have the puzzle challenges that Kazooie had. Although, I do love how that translates to the final boss of Tui as well. Yeah, but... Going back to Kazooie, one gripe I had after watching uh, VG, a person I used to know, I don't... did, like, a video series of Banjo-Kazooie and Tui retrospectives, and I, I even had you watch them with me, Henry. Mm -hmm. I remember. Is how after the Grunty Game Show, 
you can't actually get into Grunty's inner sanctum and fight her until you have 810 musical notes out of 900 in the game, which not only does that feel like a slap in the face and reveals that a lot of the exploration is mandatory, after all, it's not just a thing you can do for nice bonuses and stuff, it also feels a little misplaced. If you don't have the requisite notes after beating the Furnace Fun, then that just slows the momentum of the game to a halt where you have to go get all the other notes that you're missing. And this is also, if you're playing the 64 version, if you died or left the stage without collecting all 100 notes, they're back to zero. you got to collect them all again. Which is something that the Xbox Live versions fixed. It's where if you collect the notes, you keep them. I guess in that sense, that makes them the optimal version of the game to play. They are, in fact, the Let's the let's plays I was watching always will go the XBLA version because of the note thing. Yeah, I think they should have put that door before the furnace fun. Well, there already was a note door before the furnace fun. That was the 765 note door. Well, then there was really no point for that second note door. I agree. Now, if you had put that as, say, you know, something optional, like they did with four more note doors later. Yeah. Then that's fine. But no, they put it as something mandatory. Now, if you're playing 100% at this point anyway, that's not an issue. Yeah, and most of the people I watch play the game do it that way, and it's probably because they know better. Mm-hmm. It is a bit of a design flaw, I think, and it might have to do with how much of the game was changed during the later stages of development. It's probably something that they didn't get rid of or forgot to scrap. That does happen a lot in game development. Or it's Grunty being a jerk. Yeah. So, I actually feel like we've hit this point a lot earlier than I anticipated. I'm not really sure what else there is to say about Banjo-Kazooie, the no. original. No, uh, original and the XBLA version. Oh, uh, Stop and Swap. Oh, yeah, the Stop and Swap. Okay, this one, may I take the stage? Uh, sure. Stop and Swap was supposed to be, it was actually connectivity between Kazooie and Tui to where what you would do is you would find these items shut off the game quickly, switch cartridges to the other one, and flip it back on. When it was the original 64 hardware, you had a time of about 10 seconds to do the swapping. When it was changed later on, you had about two seconds, which, like, yeah. one to two seconds, which nobody could feasibly do. Yeah, like newer models of N64s. Right, so they end up having to scrap it. The XBLA versions actually have it to where you can do stop and swap. At the end of Banjo-Kazooie, Mumbo-Jumbo, this character who's been helping you out the whole time, he shows you hints of things that you might have encountered throughout the game that were always a little inaccessible. He shows footage of Banjo actually getting these things, and you're left to wonder how that could even happen. And that was supposed to hint to stop and swap. Yeah, and they eventually do get to stop and swap, but maybe we should save that for the Tui episode. We'll yeah. reenact our own stop and swap. What happens? Find out in Tui. No, oh no. Oh, I'd like to point out, though, in the XBLA versions, if you get everything in the game, when Mumble showing you the t showing you the uh, stop and swap things you could grab, it actually does not show Banjo getting them. In fact, uh, the one you get in Treasure Trove Cove, it shows Banjo falling down like an idiot. Oh yeah, that's because that's something weird with the, with the archived gameplay. <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. Yeah, so I guess like, you're meant to see Banjo getting one of the rare eggs, but because of quirk in the footage, it prevents Banjo from actually getting it. But the dialogue is the same, so they all think Banjo found something special. Yeah. 
I guess, uh, favorite musical tracks then? Besides anything associated with Gruntilda herself. So I guess our favorite stage theme then. Yeah, or... That is a tough one, because they're all really good. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure I like some more than others. Though granted, I still get PTSD whenever I hear Rusty Bucket bass theme. It'd actually be one of my favorites. It is a good theme, don't get me wrong, it's just the level of this. Ugh. Especially in the original 64 hardware. You die once in that boiler room, you're collecting all the notes again. Oh yeah, uh, that, was, that was a lot of people's least favorite level for that reason. I mean, the XBLA version with the collecting notes mechanic change, it does make it easier, but it still sucks. Uh... If I had to pick a favorite theme, though, it's it's not Quick Hawk Wood, actually, though I do like it a lot. It's Bubble Goop Swamp. Oh, really? Yeah. Mine would probably be Clinker's Cavern. Not a bad one. Or possibly Mad Monster Mansion or Gobi's Valley. That's another good. They're all good themes. Yeah, they're all they're all good music. I don't think there's really a dud in this entire. No, Grant Kirkhope is really good when it comes to composing music. Yeah, you could argue that maybe he borrows from his past work a little much, but I still think it's good. Well, don't, don't a lot of people that are, that are long-standing in the community borrow from their past work at some point? Well, these two years, though. Ah, fair. Because I've seen some people criticize some of his music in Tui eh. for being derivative of some of his Kazooie work. I think Tui's is different enough, though. Eh, maybe. It, it, was, it, it all seemed like nitpicking to me anyway. But, like, Grant Kirkhope, he's not just messing around on instruments. He actually really does... Like, think about music theory and stuff a lot of the time. And he can also really shred a guitar. I know that they're really divisive, but in the Game Grumps, he showed up for one of their videos and he talked about the the dissonance between a banjo and a kazoo or something like that oh. as instruments. And just stuff like that. Like, he, he really does know music. Uh, no, there's, no, there's never a doubt in my mind he knows what he's doing. Yeah, but it's just, it's good to hear them actually talking about it. Uh, is there anything else we need to talk about here? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, like, we could probably talk about banjo kazooie all day, but I, I'm thinking about what the audience might want to hear. Yeah, I think we've pretty much talked over. Like, like it, it's uh, it's obvious that we're both like real like long time fans of this game. I think I imagine the audience knows very well by now that we both love this game. We both grew up with it. We grew up with the series. Well, in that case, I think. We'll just uh, see you next time for the Banjo Tooie episode because you know why would why would I just separate them from each other? I mean, I guess technically I've, I I did like the Bayonetta episode separately from each other, but yeah, no, I feel like the Banjo episode's got to be consecutive. So uh, see you next time for Banjo Tooie. In the meanwhile, follow the Bitcast on Podcast One's website and mobile app and on Twitter where you can see me talking about different games. Uh, bye. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.